Today, I'm joined by two guests, first of which is Corey Branham. Corey served in the United States Air Force from 2007 to 2018. He has an associate's degree in logistics and in education from the Community College of the Air Force. He has a bachelor's in history from Ashford University, master's degrees in theology and divinity from Liberty University, a teaching certificate from Ashland University and a certificate in public affairs and politics from Syracuse University. And recently he ran for the seat of the 22nd district of the Ohio State Senate in 2020 and is a private school educator who has also worked in public schools previously. Corey, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me on today. Of course, yeah, I'm glad you could join. Uh, and then our second guest today is Karen Kiefer. Karen has a background in critical care and emergency nursing. During the pandemic, she worked in utilization review, helping to meet the needs of rural patient populations. She has an associate's degree in nursing from Kent State University and a bachelor's in nursing from Ohio University. During the 2020 and 2021 school year, she withdrew her children from a public school as a result of being denied a religious mask mandate exemption. Uh, then she ran for her local school board in 2021. Karen, you as well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. I think that you have an interesting story to tell, and this is a topic that has been obviously been timely right now, not only with mask mandates, but there are vaccine mandates now, and that's been in the news everywhere. And so I'd like to just jump right in, uh, Karen, and turn it over to you. So tell us a little bit about your story and what, what happened. So your school district implemented a mask mandate for children, and you requested a religious exemption for your children, um, which was then denied. Yes. Right? So walk us through what happened in your side of everything. Yes. Um, you know, amid them coming home and doing online schooling, it was pretty apparent that this was um, pretty difficult for the kids, especially you know, the smaller I had, I had a, you know, first grader um, and it became very arduous and very difficult to, um, you know, kind of coordinate everybody's needs throughout the day. And, you know, oftentimes by the time I got to my oldest, you know, people were gone, questions couldn't be asked. So in the next year, I just simply asked, what, what are we doing here? You know, our kids are falling behind. I'm not appreciating this platform. How are we going to meet the kids' needs? Um, and honestly, I received a huge backlash um, for simply asking, what, what are we going to do? And so I ultimately, because our district didn't have an answer and you know, uh, kept kicking the can to the Ohio Department of Health or, you know, to state officials decided ultimately just to leave, you know, that on the table and, and go a different route. So <clears throat> I chose to enroll the, uh, my three girls in Ohio Virtual Academy, which was, you know, okay. It was still an online platform. Um, I thought we were going to have more flexibility than we did, you know, and, and ultimately my, my kids hated it. And I, you know, I wrote to our, our school officials and asked for religious exemptions for masks and, you know, was told sincerely held religious beliefs. Well, you know, the wording had to be as such, you know, again, they kept kicking the can down the road. And so we just, we decided to go our own way, which was terrifying, by the way, <laughs> as a nurse, that's, you know, the health of the kids were very much in my wheelhouse, but teaching the kids was not so much. So, um, you know, I educate patients and adults mostly, you know, I deal in adults, but 
you know, children was not my wheelhouse. So it became daunting, really. Yeah, I'm sure. And so we I'd like to get into a little more depth and in detail on the religious exemption and the the mandate itself and everything as we go forward. But Corey, I wanted to turn it over to you uh, before we do that. So Karen and others have been encouraging you to run for the state Senate again. You're a an educator um, and have experience both with public and private schools. And so I'm assuming that these mandates have something to do with that that call to to run again. So what are your thoughts on, on Karen's situation and mandates like these in general uh, when we're talking about the, whether we're talking about public or private school systems, but, but what, what have you seen and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I, um, I did have a, I'd say good experience running for the 2020 state Senate. Um, five candidates ran from across a diverse setting that spans North Central and Northeast Ohio, uh, four counties. Um, did well finishing three out of the five, again, 3,500 total votes and the chalk held, as we might say in sports, right? The, 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 there was no incumbent, there was a term limit, it was an open office and the candidate with the most money and the candidate that was, had turned out of smaller offices basically transitioned up. So um, the chalk held in my case and I did uh, me and Karen and some of her friends, I told you there would be a screaming kid here any minute. Um, so, but yeah, it, it was not an immediate plan for me to run again here in the 2022 cycle, but I did, you know, I'm critical of people who are not good citizens, right? People vote for the name they've heard without ever looking into the platform, just because the Ohio Republican Party slaps that person's face on a flyer. So when Karen and other people said, are you interested in another state office run? I said, you know, if people get the wheels in motion, I will present this to my family. I will, you know, prayerfully consider this. And uh, that's, that's what happened. You know, Karen and some other great citizens uh, were spreading the word and I did have the conversations. And then ultimately I decided not to run this cycle because I have a 12 day old daughter right now, a four year old and a two year old uh, daughter as well. But I am gonna stay active. And a reason I do think my name was out there is because I am a, a state recognized ordained minister. Uh, I have authored several hundred at this point, either vaccine mandate or mask mandates. Uh, did that for no political reason other than you know, people with uh, sincerely held religious beliefs said, I, I can't get this shot right now. Uh, I can't wear a mask uh, for, for religious reasons. So I, I guess I'm looked on favorably by a lot of groups that do have sincerely held religious beliefs or groups that do feel, no, this is a religious conviction. Uh, you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you're to stand with unveiled faces in all that you do before the Lord. Uh, been in a lot of those conversations, and I do think we need, you know, more pro-medical freedom candidates just for this season of my life. Uh, the way it shook out is I can't, my obligations to my home first, uh, and I just didn't feel after a week or two of prayer that I could be a, a great father at this time and, and a great candidate, but who knows what next year or the year after holds, so I think I'll be back. I just can't, can't be sure when. Sure. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Family family comes first. And so it, it makes sense that you're prioritizing that. Um, I'd like you've both touched on something that I want to come back to. And it's this idea of the religious requirements slash religious beliefs. And I guess 
to, to either one of you that want to chime in and answer, the exemption denial, part of their rationale was that it was a religious belief that you were presenting, not a religious requirement. And so if I don't have that wrong, basically it's not something that your religion expressly prohibits. It's just something that you you believe strongly or you, you feel strongly uh, in a religious sense about. Is that correct? Right. Um, however, they went on to, you know, ask us to point to religious doctrine within our, you know, our church um, that would prohibit us. Um, and, you know, again, we argued that and I, and I send you sent you a few things that, you know, we went in front of the board, we went in front of, you know, several administrators, we had conversations, you know, I talked to parents and over and over, they just kept saying, well, point to the religious doctrine, which, you know, that's, that's not going to be the case. It's a sincerely held religious belief is a personal conviction and a, and a personal thing. And so it, it, it became very, very frustrating as we kind of moved through, you know, the summer before the next school year and how we were going to handle the next school year. And so I simply just decided to organize parents. We had a new superintendent coming in in my district. I couldn't have planned him being at that meeting where we organized. I didn't know when he was going to you know, come and visit our district and, and get the lay of the land. But I, I really feel God had a hand in that for sure, because you know there, those parents had a moment and, and I was able to encourage them that you know if that's their fervent desire and wish for their kids, that they need to be standing firm and standing strong in those beliefs that our community holds, you know, and, and um, the vision we have for our own district and our own uh, community. Yeah. And so the, the other side of that, you, so you organized some of the other parents and then you ran for uh, school board after. Yes. Um, and so, so how, how did that go? And what, what are your thoughts about the school board kind of as a as a mechanism of the school system, you know, with your experience, this mm -hmm. is supposed to be the way that parents like you can voice their concerns. They can speak freely about, you know, how their children are being educated and, and raise either concerns, comments, what have you. Right. And could run themselves to then be a larger part of that. Um, so do you think it's serving that purpose where what were your experiences with either talking with the school board about your exemption and the mask mandates in general, and then your experiences with running for it as well. Um, my experience with the school board is they won't even answer my emails. Um, they say they don't want a quorum in an email, um, which is absolutely absurd. Anyone knows that you can simply reply to one person um, in a group email if you choose. You know, the second thing we heard is that, you know, things aren't decided before they get there. Um, but there's never any public discussion or debate about any of these tenants that they're working through. My experience is, you know, I talked to parents, I talked to people, I tried to get the word out. I educated myself on critical race theory, probably more than, you know, anyone else in the race. And I tried to educate our parents. I tried to keep an eye on the curriculum. Um, I even asked our new superintendent if we could start a parent um, subcommittee or or like a, a subcommittee with parents as stakeholders in, in that subcommittee to review curriculum. And he pretty much told me, absolutely not. That's that's not what we do here. I review the curriculum and, you know, end of story. Gotcha. 
And so, Corey, turning it back to you with these religious exemptions for for this and other things, whether we're talking COVID specific mandates with the vaccines, with the masks, with other things, or in other circumstances completely unrelated to the pandemic, one of the more common lines that you hear is that people are faking them, that people are manipulating this this quote unquote loophole to find a way out of doing whatever the mandate is supposed to be dictating or whatever the rule is mandating or, you know, et cetera. What's your take? I mean, both specifically in this case with masks and then in general, that kind of sentiment around these religious exemptions and and freedom of religion in general. Um, I know it was a big part of when you were running for the state Senate. I know that you spoke highly of religious freedom. And obviously you you feel strongly about the religious exemptions for these mask mandates specifically. So what's your response, I guess, when people are claiming that these religious exemptions are fake or that they are not, or when they do ask for a specific line of scripture or something to quote unquote prove that you actually have this sincere belief or requirement or, or what have you? Well, you know, um, so for me, as someone who is a pastor, someone who is a, a teacher of, of the Bible, I teach Bible and business uh, in two distinct settings. But um, when someone would come to me and they would ask me for a religious exemption uh, type of letter, whether that be for the mask or whether that be for the shot, I would send them the same line of questioning every time. Tell me why scripturally you have this sincerely held belief. Uh, not that I felt that I had to, because that's what I knew that an organization wanted. And there were times where a conversation for one reason or another fell through. So even though I don't think someone should have to substantiate their religious beliefs, i.e. the First Amendment, because I knew what employers were doing, very plugged in with modern healthcare, married to a nurse and raised by a nurse, both mother and father are registered nurses, uh, I knew what was going to be needed. So um, yes, did some of those conversations fall through? Does that suggest that some people were less than genuine in their, you know, in their uh, religious beliefs? I certainly think that's possible, but that's not with the letters I signed. You know, I would screen for that. Uh, and that was certainly the exception, not the standard. And I think Karen brought up a good point. You know, a company will ask you if you have a sincerely held belief, but then ask you to prove it. Like, how do you prove a belief? So I would do the same line of questioning with anyone as a minister, whether that be my wife, whether that be my neighbor, whether that be someone I didn't know personally. So a lot of my letters would, would read the same. I asked so-and-so person this line of questioning, and I, I came up with this letter for them, and they would all read the same uh, in large part. And I have seen where people at the same organization Three of them would get, you know, uh, they would get granted their exemption and two of them would not. And it was in large part the same letter. So, uh, yeah, in, in my experience, you know, possibly hundreds of letters at this point, I stopped counting. Uh, I don't think the people were arbitrary in requesting the exemption as I do think institutions were uh, arbitrary in their accepting or um, denying of them. So that was my experience with that. And I do want to point to something that Karen brought up on the school board issue. In large part, people got to remember that schools function off of state and federal money. 
right? So if, if the school board goes against what Governor Mike DeWine or their county commission, what they've already endorsed as their stance, well, that's the slap of the hand and they're going to uh, they're going to lose fun. They're going to lose funding. They're going to lose money. So um, when it comes to public schools, public school educated, public school employed at times, I would just say this, you know, that there's a line about children going to school. If you give your kids to, see, to Caesar, you had better expect Romans. Uh, and I think a lot of the times our school board has to do with that, because if the school board doesn't uphold the government, Caesar, that line, well, then all of a sudden that funding that looked promising, now all of a sudden that doesn't look so promising. That new school project or new school itself that was on the horizon two to four years from now, all of a sudden now that's okay, hey, you're not on this cycle. That's now a 10 to 20 year project, not a two to four. So um, yeah, I've never been on a school board, have a lot of no people who are, have friends that are, uh, and I do think they do their best, but there is a little bit of some handcuffs on there anytime that uh, money's on the line. And I don't know the, the people that Karen is referencing, but I will say they do get pretty firm in that because they know, whoa, whoa, if I go against the grain here, that Ohio money, that federal money, that's going to that's going to be gone or the threat of it being gone is pretty realistic. Yeah, because, you know, the the funding that came from the CARES, the ARP, the ESSER funds, you know, there were caveats. Universal and correct wearing of masks was a part of that. Um, physical distancing, including use of cohorts and um, potting, that was a part of the hand washing and respiratory etiquette, cleaning and maintaining healthy facilities, including improving ventilation, which I advocated I mean, tremendously for improved ventilation. You know, what was our school doing to improve indoor air quality? Um, and they couldn't even point me to a process that they could, you know, um, routinely show me that they were changing filters. And so these were, you know, the kind of things that I was advocating for and looking for others to advocate for with me as we kind of you know, uh, navigated this uh, chaos of the pandemic and, you know, in, in, in its school, out of school, in school, out of school, it just, it became, you know, a ridiculous carousel of, you know, nonsense. And so after, after the exemption request was denied, Karen, you pulled your student, uh, your children out of school and, and like you said, had them attend the, the virtual schooling mm -hmm. that obvious. So obviously you opted for a different option for their education but there wasn't a, a currently an option for in-person mask-free learning, right? right? And so, right. And I, I want to clarify that I have a, a daughter with sensory processing issues, and so anything restricting or tight or you know she felt uncomfortable with would distract from her learning. I have one with anxiety, so any you know any heightened anxiety would distract from her learning. And then of course you know you have a little. First grader. And, you know, I just felt as though they were, they felt punished. They felt punished. You know, they were taking masks breaks. I was being told they were, you know, leveraging that for a recess. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And, and so the other parents, what were their thoughts on this? You, you tried organizing others in your community around this. Was this kind of a shared sentiment that there were, there were others that were opposed to these mandates? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, in my community, it's a small rural community. So everybody was kind of afraid to make waves. 
And because I didn't grow up in my community, but I was kind of a transplant, I've been here for a number of years, and we we did choose to leave the district at one point for uh, smaller class sizes and chose to come back. I didn't feel as much, um, you know, tied to that thought process, maybe as as some of the other other people in my community. Um, but they heard what I was saying, and yeah, they absolutely stood up and, um, you know, came came to the board meetings. I explained the process. I explained when they, you know, the portion of the meeting when they could speak and how many minutes they would have. I mean, we're limited to three minutes, so you better get a lot of bang for your buck in that three minutes and say what you got to say. And, you know, this was happening all around, all around us because I was organizing, you know, uh, counties next to us, adjacent counties trying to, you know, create this momentum um, because I knew parents had had enough and that this was not sustainable um, for our kids, for our work purposes. Um, you know, it, it just became this juggernaut that we, we felt like we couldn't overcome. So we went to the meeting, like I said, the, the superintendent was there and we took a stand. Um, many, many people in the community spoke, um, so proud of them. They were quoted in the paper and, um, you know, a lot of them received backlash. Their kids were targeted um, because they were quote, quoted in the local paper for, you know, telling their side of the story about mass breaks being taken and, you know, recesses being leveraged at the school board meeting in a public forum. Um, one of the kids got suspended for, you know, uh, refusing to wear a mask. He was suspended because he said, I, I just can't do this another day. This is this is nonsense. And um, again, he was in middle school where I felt like the middle school and high school weren't being pushed as hard as the elementary school um, kids were because they didn't have that voice and they didn't have that, you know, kind of attitude, uh, bravado to be able to push back. And so it just became very clear to me at that point, yeah, that I needed to run for the board. And, and, you know, parents were asking me, you know, you seem to have a handle on this. Please, you know, please run. Please be the change that we desperately need in our district. One of the problems that people often have with the public school system is that there aren't that many choices, that there aren't, that you're kind of locked into public schools in a lot of cases. You know, there obviously private schools exist. There are charter schools. There are other option, other virtual learning opportunities, things like that. It begs the question of how much of this and similar issues would remain, how much of a problem would exist if other options were able to exist, regardless of whether mask mandates are right or wrong, if there was the possibility of another school opening up that had the ability to choose not to enforce those mask mandates or insert any other rule or mandate that, that we want. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we had taken our kids to smaller um, private schools with, um, you know, smaller class sizes. And, and the problem in our area, like you said, is there's a lack of choice and there's a lack of those that go up to, you know, a certain grade point. And, and actually, Corey teaches at one. And, you know, it's not that far out, but it would be it would be challenging to get my kids there. Um, it's one we had considered for sure. But this idea of, you know, educating the whole child, this, the public school system doesn't get my whole child. They get to educate my child, period, and, and stop. So this whole child, you know, uh, framework in our state is, 
as Corey said, you know, tied to funding, tied to, you know, extra counselors, tied to, you know, all kinds of, you know, things, social emotional learning. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's difficult to overcome. As he said, you know, they want the funding, they need the funding. And so I guess the question is for our, our leaders, how do we overcome that if we don't agree as a locally controlled state at the state board level? How do we overcome that, you know, that mentality? Because we we um, elected those school board members to be the public in public education, not vice versa. Actually, I'd like to just turn that question over to Corey, since Corey, you were you were running for the state Senate and were considering doing it again. Um, you have served in both public and private education contexts. I mean, what are your thoughts on solving this this issue, right? Whether it's the issue of centralization, monopolization of the education system and the the inability to choose uh, freely how your child is educated, the lack of options, or just the, I guess, division that is causing some of this, you know, on some of these different heated issues. Well, again, as you as you guys can probably hear, this is something that hits home to me because I'm going to be sending uh, kids to education, uh, pre-K through 12 in some capacity for at least the next 18 years, uh, Lord willing, uh, my family will continue to grow and it would be beyond that. But uh, even though we're still up against it, I think the positive change is coming. So let's take this for example, non-denominational Christian schools uh, enrollment is up and I'm not talking one or 2%, you're talking 10, 20, 30% in some regions across the state of Ohio. So that tells me that parents are waking up. Uh, for so long, school has been something of a daycare experiment. It has been something of a, uh, we just trust that our child's best interest is at heart when we send our kids off to school. And unfortunately for a couple decades, uh, probably dating back to the 60s and 70s, there has been a movement to kind of subvert knowledge through through young people and parents were hands off, parents were working, parents were sleeping, parents had uh, babies at home raising while their um, maybe adolescent age kids were, were off at school. But uh, I think it is happening because parents want to know now whether it's, wait a second, my kid has a sensory problem or uh, my kid at one time, you know, unfortunately we have um, a lot of abuse uh, cases in some of the area here. So if a kid was ever you know, had a head injury or, or was somehow um, confined against their will. Now you're putting a mask on them and they're having flashbacks. So you do have those exceptional circumstances here where parents are saying, no, my kid's not putting this on their face. Through that, they've been led to, well, listen, why are you guys teaching critical theory? So just, you know, in short, that's a conversation on itself, but critical theory seeks to put races or social groups or demographics into critical components, oppressor, oppressed. That's the big one now where it's saying, hey, if you're oppressed, you're always going to be oppressed until you overthrow your oppressor. That's the heart of critical race theory, which modern BLM and, you know, some of the other uh, movements are, you know, you identify with a demographic and then seeing how common those are with social emotional learning uh, throughout that curriculum. So parents, although still up against it, if parents continue this trend of, hey, in two years, we're in some regions dropping public school tuition or attendance 20%, 30%, well, then at some point, money's going to talk, right? Teachers don't make a lot of money. If they make less, 
then all of a sudden we may we may get this to the table. But uh, we do need good people locally in their school boards. And then again, we have to elect at the top too, because the, the governor, in our case, currently Mike DeWine, the governor through the spoil system that is so often defines American politics, gets to appoint their own non-elected members to the Ohio Board of Education. I don't know if it's five or six around there still, but uh, so then you have the people you elect. Well, now if you have a governor that's not pro you know, educational choice or not pro medical freedom or not pro uh, the biblical stance of you make the decision to raise the children in the way that God says they should go, now you're still up against it. You can have the best candidates for local school board here in Richland, Crawford, Medina County, Ohio. But if you have a governor that appoints an opposite uh, view with his, uh, with his appointees on the board, you're still going to be up against it. But no, the awakening has happened. We see that in non-denominational Christian education going up through the roof, some public school attendance going down, homeschool going up. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of time. Can we? Can people stay the course? And then, and then at some point, the money talks, or is this just a flash in the pan? And okay, things are back to normal. Let me send my kid back. So it, it's really, I say, the ball is in the parents' court. It just becomes a waiting game. Can you do this for three to five years? Can you commit Christian education, homeschool education for all your kids? You know, K twelve, and if so. Uh, I think that will, that'll be the drive. For either one of you, maybe Karen, this might be better for you, but what would you, what would you say to those parents like yourself or others in, in local communities that have some issue with their school district, with their board of educators, with their or education, um, with the teachers, with the policies, with the curriculum, with what have you, we've talked a little bit already about the school boards not being the best mechanism for free speech and discussing these issues freely without backlash, without some level. Now, and to be fair, obviously, when you're talking freely about heated topics, you will likely always get some level of backlash. And so there's some of that that's unavoidable. But right. what would you say to parents like yourself or others that have these issues that maybe either don't want to address them through the board of education or through these mechanisms, because like you, they feel like they're not successfully working with, they're not working. What else would you recommend that they do when they have concerns like this? Um, we've talked about money and we've talked about pulling your students out and taking that step. I mean, would you echo that sentiment or is there something else that you would recommend for them? Um, I, I mean, I, I know that that's not for everyone and obviously that's not everyone's situation. And so I would say just organize your, your tribe, know your like-minded, um, you know, families in your area, your district, you know, keep drawing light to it. Keep, keep going to those meetings, keep looking at those agendas, keep, you know, keep an eye, let them know you are there and you are continuing to be there and will continue to be there to watch what is coming in. Because the, you know, the major thing right now is, you know, all of these um, subcontracted curriculums come in and, you know, parents don't have any idea what they consist of. Um, and, and just getting to know those companies that are coming in, getting to know what it is that they're teaching and having those conversations with the teachers, with the administrators, you know, it, 
it's a difficult spot to be. Um, my kids went back um, this this past year, been very grateful that they've been mask free. You know, lots of of athlete testing, uh, perpetuating this cycle. And, you know, just educating parents that even though, you know, these kids are testing positive, you know, a case doesn't necessarily mean illness. And I think the further we get away from that, the better off we'll be able to kind of, you know, extract real data um, about, you know, how this is affecting our kids and, you know, create better solutions. Um, I want to turn it back to you both one last time uh, before we close, just so that you have one last opportunity to say what needs saying. If we missed anything, if you wanted to touch on anything that we either didn't cover or maybe didn't cover enough or missed um, some element of it that you think is important. Uh, Otherwise, if you just have any closing thoughts or any messages for those listening to this episode, then I am happy to turn over, turn the floor over to you both. I guess we'll start with Corey if you want to jump in, if you have anything left to say, and then we'll go to Karen afterwards. Well, you know, first I would just say thanks for having me on. I know we got to each other through through a um, mutual you know, connection here with Karen, but uh, I think it's great what you're doing, and I you know I wish you all the best in your professional pursuits um, up at university, and hope that it all goes well. But no, I think. So long as people keep having these conversations, again, it was so often hands off. You know, I send my kids to school and I just assume that they are, if not helping what's going on in my house, at least not damaging what goes on in my house. So uh, shedding light to the fact that, you know, that maybe is not always the case, uh, whether you think you have a good district or a good school or not. So it's a conversation worth having, although uncomfortable. And I know you may take some heat for keeping these topics going, but, you know, I, I certainly applaud you for doing that, but no, uh, you know, I just feel like God has blessed me. You know, I joined the military for 11 years, uh, never had an interest in doing it before I did, uh, kind of joined to get out of potentially having to go to college and then just found a love of education and, you know, a, a love for uh, public affairs and, and, and the social sciences, which I feel are so underserved. Um, but, uh, and it kind of led me here and I've loved being a voice and, you know, I just, I just thank you for this opportunity again. And no, I think the, the debate is far from settled. The issue is far from settled. I just really hope that in five, 10 years from now, we're not looking back at a, the generation that was reared during these, this past couple of times and seeing an increase in mental health at, you know, at, at, an increase in, you know, um, social activity from being shut in, just a pattern of that staying low. So, you know, I'm optimistic for the future and uh, excited for whatever role I can have in in being positive uh, for for those who feel that I can speak for them. So again, thanks for your time. Uh, Best of luck with your podcast, with your professional and educational pursuits. And uh, uh, just thank you so much. Well, I really appreciate it. I, I'm glad that you could join us. I was happy to have this conversation. Um, I This podcast is largely about allowing people that are in some way tied to academia or academic pursuits to voice their concerns, to speak freely, to think freely. Um, and in a lot of ways that we've discussed, you know, these issues need to be expressed in, in some capacity. So I'm happy to, to provide the platform for you both to do that. And I'm, I'm glad that you both were able to join us for it. Uh, Karen, over to you. Anything left to say? I just want to remind parents that you elect these school board members. They are, again, keeping the public in public education. And you need to be holding their 
their feet to the fire. Um, I never saw myself running for public office, similarly to Corey, you know, just feeling like our kids weren't being heard um, and they didn't have a voice of their own. And so making sure that you're standing firm in, you know, what is right for your family it may not look like what's right for your neighbor's family. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, but, you know, I just heard a statistic the other day that we have what six times more uh, anxiety and depression among teens and young people than nationally, nationally. Um, so that's, to me, signals some serious issues for our kids on the horizon. Um, so please just stay engaged, stay involved. Um, you know, let, let your voice be heard, whether that's, you know, to other mamas, find your tribe, to administrators, having that relationship, you know, to churches. I mean, churches can be involved. They are also stakeholders in our public education. Um, so just stay engaged. Karen, Corey, thank you both so much for joining me and for shedding some light on these issues and having a discussion about them. Uh, I know that a lot of people, we've already talked about the backlash that, you know, Karen, you and others have faced discussing these issues. Uh, Corey, you're probably not entirely wrong that someone will probably take issue with this podcast in and of itself, but uh, it's an important conversation and I was happy to have it. Um, so thank you both so much for joining us and take care. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Zach. Have you ever noticed that the most important topics are also the hardest to talk about? Whether it's politics, religion, money, or culture, you're more likely to get in an argument than to have a genuine civil conversation. On Say What Needs Saying, we tackle these touchy topics and bring listeners on live to discuss them with us. We're pushing back against cancel culture and censorship and bringing back free speech and civil discourse. Listen to our previous discussions wherever you find your podcasts, on YouTube, or on our website at saywhatneedsaying.com. And join us live for the next one so that you can say what needs saying too.